Hey guys, welcome to Lords of Order, a DC Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is a spoiler podcast, as well as episode 60 of this show. The book, Doctor Fate, issue 7 of the current volume, so uh, even more on topic, I guess, spoilers. Now, if you want to talk about this issue or any of the other issues that I have spoken of in the previous 59 episodes, you can send email to the Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Leave comments on the website, bigtimenoise.com slash drfate. Comments on the pages for Lords of Order on Google Plus and Facebook, or you can tweet comments in 140 characters or less, of course. Twitter at T-O-T-E-A-L Productions. February 2016 is the cover date for this book. Much more recent than the 1941 and 42 books I have discussed most recently on the show. By about, what, 60, 75 years? Roughly? Paul Levitz and Sonny Liu, I believe is how you pronounce it, are the storytellers. Lee Lofbridge on colors, Steve Wands on letters. Now, this issue is finally, finally, and this will be particular interest to Kyle, right? I believe it was Kyle that mentioned, let's see, yeah, Kyle that was mentioning his uh, similar disliking of the pacing of the story as I have spoken about uh, issue seven is the final story of this particular arc. Now, seven issues for a story arc is a curious number in the writing for the trade philosophy that uh, is around today. So I'm I'm curious about that. Seven is the loneliest. No, no, never mind. Um, the the cover is uh, several. Anubis uh, holding a heart. Well, okay. For Anubis is holding the heart that apparently has been extracted from Doctor Fate, who is laying on a table before him. Uh, surrounding Anubis are other mystical creatures, perhaps denizens of the Egyptian underworld, known and unknown. Perhaps I could not find much reference to any of these guys specifically, except maybe one. The one here may be the. Uh, demigod whose job it was to consume the hearts that Anubis judged that failed the test. Uh, He looks kind of like that. But anyways, he doesn't show up in the story, though. We open in Duat. Now, these these Egyptian words are going to be really difficult for me to pronounce. I'll do the best I can. And for those of you uh, who aren't familiar with the story to this point. In this issue, they shake up the Egyptian mythology can and dump it all on this story. It's everywhere. Uh, I've done, I think, the best I can, certainly as much as I'm willing to, <laughs> to pull out those things that I was able to do a little bit of research on to be a little bit more informed of what they're doing, perhaps in the background, definitely in the art of this story. So they're in Duat, the under the Egyptian underworld, because Anubis has defeated Doctor Fate and has carried Doctor Fate into the underworld. Okay, he's died, he's gone to, um, and I don't know if the Egyptians felt this way. He's gone to a hell 
or the hell, the underworld. I, I don't know if that's a bad thing for them. Which is one of the roles that Anubis um, fills in the Egyptian pantheon. So we have several people who may be speaking. We have the story narrator who sometimes... Um, well, no, I, I take that back. In this issue, th- for the entire issue, the narrator is a seemingly unconscious Khalid. That's whose voice uh, that that is. I, I think I didn't see that it could have been anyone else's, just his voice as the narrator. And we have Anubis speaking. Now, he will speak via bubbles. Uh, Khalid, while he is unconscious like this, is in the narration boxes that is usually reserved for a narrator. That is Khalid. So Anubis comes down, um, speaks to his denizens who are feigning and fawning over him, trying to win a favor, saying they missed him, asking what they can do, etc., etc. Anubis, though, uh, apparently when souls arrive, uh, these creatures typically take care of the many aspects of preparing the soul for whatever comes next. But Anubis wants to take care of this particular soul himself, Khalid, because Khalid had the temerity to oppose Anubis and wear the helmet of Thoth as well. So as they are descending, uh, tripping the light, dead, fantastic, whatever you want to call their little journey here as Anubis is carrying Khalid, he is speaking to him and um, twisting the knife, as it were, for what has happened to Khalid. Now, very early on, uh, actually, in the, let's see, one, two, third page of the story uh, is the first place that I definitely start picking up on some symbology here in this story. Here we have Anubis still talking to Khalid, and he says, Does your Ba struggle, mortal? And we see uh, the figure flying around on several panels. Actually, this whole page is drawn as a maze, going from upper left around to the right, down, across, and then starting to spiral inward. Okay, And through that path are these little figures that is a little blue bird flying around with a fate, uh, with a uh, helmet of Thoth on. And Anubis is referring to uh, the Ba. And the Ba, as it turns out, is the Egyptian concept of the soul, which is made up of five parts. The Ba isn't. I'm sorry. Uh, The Egyptian concept of the soul is composed of five parts. One of those parts is the Ba, considered the personality of the person. The Ba is most often represented as a human head on a small bird, uh, a a passerine bird body. So we we have that here flying around as he is uh, making light of what is going on with Khalid. It's telling him there's no escape. Uh, All of your soul shall be trapped within your corpse until I'm done with you, uh, alluding to potentially that there are multiple parts. Now, I didn't look into what is supposed to happen at the time of death to the individual parts 
as to why keeping all the parts together would be a punishment or would be a bad thing to happen to somebody. So that I don't know. Um, We then go to a two-page spread where Anubis just further is egging on Dr. Fate. Um, Khalid, however, is... He realizes that he is... uh, He has sensory input. I I don't even know if you can say conscious. Uh, But he has sensory input. He, He hears and he understands what Anubis is saying. He is cognizant enough of his surroundings that that they are not mortal world surroundings it's not a place that he's used to but he can't speak he can't move so he can sense but he can't interact right now finally anubis gives the uh, body or the the entire soul, I guess it were at this point, is what it represents of Doctor Fate to his minions to carry carry back to his slab where he starts the initial part of the measuring of the worthiness of the soul. We cut back to Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, where the weather has gotten bad enough that they have now initiated mandatory evacuation. We have Elizabeth and Mohammed who are uh, packing things up. Elizabeth, uh, that's, I'm sorry, that's Khalid's mom and dad. Elizabeth is lamenting that she can't get a hold of Khalid. Um, and here appears, in the midst of this, on the windowsill, which with this beating, oh, no, it is closed. Okay, with this beating rainstorm outside, I, I thought this was open, but the, the, the window is closed. She opens it to let Puck in, right? Puck is the black cat that Khalid has always had, but in our story, Puck turns out to be the avatar of Bastet. But Bastet was killed or dissipated or whatever earlier in the encounter, one of the encounters with Anubis, Khalid had told his mom and dad that Puck was gone. Well, here is a cat that looks like Puck, but it has more white. I believe Puck was all black. Uh, This has a white chest and white paws. And when he... Um, Mohammed mentions that to mom, to Elizabeth. She says, oh, you know, he's just got a few more white hairs like you do, honey, you know, in, in a cute uh, a poo-poo kind of way. And as Mohammed is looking at the cat, um, he is speaking, and he says, Mohammed says, why are you staring like that, cat? I, I, I must send Khalid message Pharaoh's staff very haltingly and we see from the previous panel to this panel in this panel he is highlighted in red uh, his his face it's zoomed into just his face alluding to the fact I guess that he is not what he was either he's he's under some sort of power some power has come over him and that reddish haze is signifying that so he is speaking but he is speaking not his words presumably he is speaking the cat's words presumably the cat is bestet we then cut back to the underworld which i apologize i didn't write it down and i forgot the name of it it's a short word but so the underworld and we see khalid uh, excuse me. We see Dr. Fate laid out on a slab with Anubis standing over him with a very wicked looking knife. He removes the amulet from the center of Dr. Fate's chest. 
plunges the knife down into the center of Khalid's chest, reaches into his chest, and extracts Khalid's heart. Uh, Anubis says, it's heavy for your deeds, with, with your deeds, for such a short life. Thief, and he calls him a thief because he has the helmet of Thoth and he doesn't deserve it. Now, in Egyptian folklore, what happens is Anubis is responsible for determining a, a life's worth after death. And if I may, from a, a UK website, it says the ancient Egyptians believed that when you died, you traveled to the Hall of the Dead. There, Anubis weighed your heart against the feather of Ma'at. Ma'at, the goddess of justice, sits on top of the scales to make sure that the weighing is carried out properly. You can see Anubis steadying the scales to make the weighing fair. If your heart was lighter than a feather, you lived forever. Amit, who is the uh, demigod that I referred to off of the cover, had the head of a crocodile, the shoulders of a lion, and the rump of a hippopotamus. These were frightening animals for the Egyptians. Uh, if your heart was heavier than the feather, not worthy, it was eaten by Amit. And then Thoth, the god of wisdom and writing, stands by to record what's happening. Now, Anubis we know of. Um, Ma'at we've had reference to. Amit, no, but it, it doesn't really play a, a part in this. Um Thoth, we have reference. Thoth is the Egyptian god that has the head that looks like the head of an ibis, uh, the bird with a thin head and a, a very long beak. So that is uh, that is Thoth, and that will that will play a part here shortly in our story. So that is where Anubis is is going. Uh, Khalid is speaking. Okay, he speaks to the helmet. And the, the, the wizard in the helmet says, I have no power in the Duat. There's the underworld's name. I'm sorry. Um, Nabu. He's speaking. Khalid is speaking to Nabu, praying to Nabu, uh, in essence. Nabu responds, I have no power in the Duat, Khalid Nasur. I am but a ba, like all the rest, a soul. Although this is one part of the soul, the personality. In this realm, only Thoth himself might act, but his spirit has passed. And then we see something, a panel or two over, starting to manifest, saying, I hear. And Thoth materializes. A couple of the denizens feel that they're going to run and tell Anubis. Thoth says, says you shall do no such thing, scaly one. Thoth shall confront the jackal himself. So you are the mortal to whom Bastet gave my mask and amulet. How weak and small. Yet you had the wisdom to direct your prayers to me. We shall see if my shade has strength enough to challenge the jackal in the hall of judgment. It has been so long since wisdom accounted for much in the world of the living, but we shall see. Now, if that is not prophetic, I don't know what is. So, Thoth has materialized to help um, his or her, I don't know, it's, we'll say it's, I don't want to get into any gender discussions here, um, much less sex discussions. It's current avatar, I guess, has asked for help, and so Thoth has come to help defeat Anubis. 
So now we are in the measuring room. We see Anubis, the scales, the feather, the heart. We don't see Ma'at on the scale because Ma'at has left. So he, she, it is not available to make sure that everything is done correctly. Uh, I, I find that to be significant, I believe, because that means Anubis can now do whatever he wants to in the determination of the merit of this heart, which if you've read the other six issues, you know what Anubis wants to do is not in question. It's just a matter of going through the procedure. So he does uh, counterbalance the heart against the feather. And we see that the heart is indeed lighter than the feather. It shifts that way. And Anubis says, surely not. And then he says, there. See, the judgment moved to damnation because he puts his finger on it and pulls down the heart. Of course, nobody is there to tell him he cannot do this. So he does. And in the midst of doing this, we see behind him someone say, halt, carrion god. Here's Thoth, carrying uh, a unconscious Dr. Fate with him. Now Thoth and Anubis uh, get into a knockdown drag out. We see in the midst of this the tray, uh, the, the scale is destroyed and uh, Fate's heart goes flying through the air, you know, where it's, it's tossed about. Ultimately, Thoth succumbs to Anubis. Um, now, two, two, two ways I think I, I, I could take that. One is to further the story. Okay, the other could be much more metaphorical in that the god of wisdom does not have the power that he used to, but the god of death still does. Okay, I mean, if you want to get all meta, that could be what is being said here. Uh, You would have to ask the storytellers uh, precisely. Either one could be the fact, you know, just trying to move the story along, or they're trying to say that, you know, with death is important, not just because death is always around, but the fascination people have with death and reading obituaries and all this death, almost culture that we have, you know. I I wouldn't say that we worship death right now, but it is very prevalent in everyone's mind. And from my own experience, wisdom is not. (laughs) So, again, wisdom is hard to find nowadays. So Thoth is laying here dying after Anubis is once again proclaiming his victory. Thoth says, I I fear you might be right. Anubis laughs and Thoth sends a a a Pharaoh staff that he has, or it has, excuse me, uh, towards Dr. Fate. And Thoth says, take heart, fallen mortal, and seek the staff of power within you. And this is where, um, uh, no, that happens in a couple couple more panels. I'm sorry. Um, Dr. Fate speaks. Okay, I'm not waking from this nightmare as he lifts his hand and grasps the staff. And then through the power in the staff, he is able to recover. Now, uh, keep in mind, he, he doesn't have his heart. <laughs> his heart is still laying over here on the floor. Uh, this is the animated body of uh, Khalid Nasur as Dr. Fate. He says, uh, I'm not waking from this nightmare, but this is much, much better because he feels himself um, uh, welling with power. Anubis attacks 
Dr. Fate blocks the attack with a combination of the staff and his own power. And in the midst of this fight, he hears what his dad spoke when the cat, who we will find here at the end of the story, is indeed a new avatar of Bestet, when the Bestet passed a message to Khalid uh, that I, I spoke in, in that halting English. That was the message. Find the Pharaoh's staff within. And Khalid is like, you know, wow, that sounds like dad's voice. Because he's, he's used to hearing the, the wizard's voice. But this is his dad's that he hears. And he, he reaches inside and searches out the power within him. And we suddenly see in this room, which has hieroglyphics as the backdrop on, on the walls, Khalid excuse me again, Dr. Fate is standing. He's got a a big bloody patch on his chest where he uh, had his heart ripped out. He's holding the staff, and a double helix now is starting to flow through the room, kind of like an energy nimbus of some sort. Um, Yeah, too many names. Anubis is going crazy because he's starting to see some things happen that he doesn't like. He says, I condemn your spirit to the lake of fire forever. And Dr. Fate says, that's not my fate. I have my family, my girl, my world to keep you from flooding, Anubis. I still don't know why I was chosen, but I was. By the blood of the pharaohs, Anubis. By my blood, Anubis shouts out, how dare you raise a divine staff, mortal? Meet your fate. And he gives him, uh, fate gives Anubis a big whammy. Now, the staff has changed from a, a simple Pharaoh's staff to where the double helix split has wrapped around the staff and reformed in the double helix shape. But now, overall, the staff reminds me more of a uh, caduceus or perhaps a, a doubled staff of Asclepius. Okay, Now, the Caduceus is the staff that you always see attributed to doctors. Uh, it's got the staff with at the top the wings coming off, and then two snakes twined around it. Uh, some representation of the of medicine or the medical symbol or something like that. It, it it's tied to Hercules. Uh, Hercules, excuse me, uh, Mercury. It's it's tied to the god of Mercury and some of the things that he represented. Now, the uh, Asclepius is uh, an older Greek uh, doctor, perhaps, if, if, they could, if you could actually use that word. And his symbol was a staff with a single snake twined around it. Now, the caduceus, it's, it's two snakes, but the snakes are, are different. They don't appear as serpents, whereas on the staff of Asclepius, they do. Now, to further dig... Um, Asclepius also has connections to ancient Sumerian myths. The earlier dynastic periods uh, that, that they have broken Egyptian peoples to also have a strong Sumerian uh, base to a lot of their mythologies and a lot of their um, representations of things taken from those that 
Sumer and the Sumerians used. So um, I'm not sure if any of that applies again to what they're trying to represent here with the staff or whether this is just uh, artistic freedom in designing the staff. I mean, the staff is is done rather particularly with the DNA helix because the the power of the pharaoh the the blood line of the pharaohs is within Khalid and this looking like a caduceus which is medical healing but uh, it's kind of a stretch the way this story has been built to say that Khalid is really healing anything so mm, I, I, I'm not sure whether I I you know necessarily picked up anything correctly there so now. Dr. Fate has Anubis on the rocks. He's starting to really stick the power to him. And then in the middle of this story, it goes from the art of the real world, okay, what's happening in Khalid's world, to a panel that is hieroglyphics, okay, a representation hieroglyphically of a standing Dr. Fate, and he's he's standing in profile, like you know all the Egyptian hieroglyphic peoples typically are represented when we see them on TV and books, whatever, uh, one-dimensional, holding this staff, surrounded by a nimbus of energy, lancing out to Anubis, who is bowing on one knee, palms raised forward, you know, as in no or please or whatever. And then beneath that is a glyph representing um, oh a representation of Osiris who among other things is the god of transition resurrection, regeneration transition because what is happening in his battling and defeating of Anubis, Khalid Nasur is transitioning from the human who doesn't know, doesn't understand the powers of Dr. Fate to Dr. Fate. He is accepting and using and growing into his powers, whereas previously he has been uh, denying, uh, potentially rejecting those powers. So I, I think that's what they're, they're trying to show here. Uh, that he is transitioning to the to the Doctor Fate that we've been wanting for seven issues. Anubis uh, shrivels, shrivels, shrivels until now he's the little um, hyena dog avatar, a small one, not the big one that we've seen in previous, but a small one. And he is completely at um, Doctor Fate's control. He can do anything he wants with him. He ultimately, um, he says, now let's talk about you leaving the real world alone for a very long time. Um, and, and it ends with that because now, in the next panel, we see Dr. Fate walking out in the Duat, out of the uh, temple, I guess, that they were in, to Anubis. Uh, he gets his heart places it back in his chest, puts the symbol of Thoth, the breast symbol, back over the hole, uh, plugging it up, I guess, 
wishes himself back into the real world and materializes in the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. Uh, takes the helmet off, tucks it under his hand. Uh, something has been done with the staff. He is no longer holding it. It has disappeared. I don't know if it will um, become another part of his uh, equipment retinue or not. But the first thing, and, and this, is, this is probably significant, the first thing he wonders if is if he can text Shea. Um, she is the girl that he's interested in, and she represents the more modern aspects of uh, Muslim, to, to me, is, is what she in part represents, uh, particularly for Khalid. And as he's doing this, Bastet shows up, says, You are awake, Khalid Nasur, and I am proud of my chosen one. You did well. He said, But isn't it all over? And Bastet, as she... She was laying on a, a, a grave marker here, and as she speaks, this time she sits up and starts licking her paw and says, Oh no, you have much to do to heal the world, little mortal. Accept your fate in the final panel of the book. And it is a uh, representation of Bastet. Or, okay, uh, let's do this. It's, it's multi-layered. The layer closest to us is... Khalid holding the helmet of faith. Uh, faith? Yeah, sorry. Thoth. A couple representations that, that I will get into of Egyptian gods. Bestet behind that, and behind that as if a wall, um, a wall of hieroglyphs and various symbols. The Eye of Horus is here. Uh, the two statues that flank him and are like one layer behind are Thoth and Horus. Thoth uh, we're, we're familiar with. Now, I believe they chose Horus because Horus is the god of, mm, let's see, truth. He is the god of truth um, and is often felt to be the most significant upholder of Ma'at, which is everything that Khalid has been fighting for uh, as Dr. Fate so far in this first uh, story arc. So, that is what I was able to put together from the book. Uh, anyone else, particularly if there is something, someone that listens to the show that is Egyptian and or Muslim, and certainly could add to my Western Caucasian understanding of what all they have been throwing out at us, these seven issues, definitely I would be interested in having your feedback to learn further, perhaps little Easter eggs and whatnot that I have missed that may be significant as well. I'm sure there are plenty of things that just have evaded my eye because I, I don't know what I'm looking at or looking for. Next time out should be more fun comics episode uh, issue 77 as we jump back to our golden age adventures. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you then. Lords of Order is a teal production and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license.